Coming up next on Contemplate. God tells us the truth. We do not get to tell him what we think the truth ought to be. It's not how it works. As we continue our look at progressive Christianity, we're learning about the scriptures, the Bible, why it's so important, and some different ways to interpret what it says. Here's Pastor David. Now, you'll also hear that the books in the Bible were written long hundreds of years after these events happened. Again, not true. Every book in the New Testament was written in the first century. If you're wondering, that's the century when the events happened. All of those books are written in the first century. Now, when you think about trying to remember something, remember it accurately, I would say that the closer to the time that the thing happened, the more likely you're to remember it accurately. Probably true, right? We call that, in the law, we call that contemporaneous notes. If we can find that someone took contemporaneous notes, notes about what happened near the time that it happened, we will use those, even if their later testimony is different, we're more likely, and a jury is more likely, to think that what happened was what, what, was, what was written in those contemporaneous notes. The Bible's like that, contemporaneous notes. It's not long, 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 long after. There are some history books that are written like that. The Bible is not like that contemporaneous, very short period of time. Now, I, I went into a lot of depth. I didn't want to redo a sermon that I did about five or six years ago in 2016, but the very first Skeptics Forum, there's one on the reliability of Scripture. I think it's number four in that series. So go to the app or go to the website or whatever, and you can hear all the numbers and all the stuff about how many documents we have and all that kind of stuff. It's really fascinating. Actually, some of those numbers have changed since then because we have found some more of the Iliad and some more of this, but not, nothing in terms of what we found of these other ancient things has even gotten to come close to the number of manuscripts we have in the New Testament. And I'm not even talking about the translations, which is to say they, the Greek New Testament, we have, I think, five or 6,000 existing copies. And then from those, at the time, they translated them into Latin. They translated them into these different languages. And we have like 15 or 20,000 of those that are really, really old too. So there's just, there's just such a wealth of information for us to be able to take it and make sure the Bible is accurate, that when people come against the validity of the Bible or say that what we have is not what they said or what they meant, it is not true. Do not believe it. But this is what a lot of progressive Christians are starting to believe. Let's talk for a minute about why we interpret the Bible literally and what we mean by that, by literally. So, when we say we interpret the Bible literally, what we mean is we interpret the Bible according to the type of literature that it is. The Bible is actually a lot of books put together, right? And there are different kinds. There's, there's prophetic books. There are books, uh, the Psalms, right? So there's like poetry and songs. There's a whole bunch of songs in the Bible. Uh, there's a lot of history. There's moral instruction. There's all these different things. So when we say we're, we're literally, we take it according to the type of literature that's there, and then we interpret it literally according to what was trying to be said. So if we're reading something historical and it says, this happened on this day and this guy did it, we believe this happened on this day and this guy did it because it's a historical piece of literature and they're talking about history. But if we're in the Psalms somewhere and they're using a metaphor or a simile or a poetic language, then we interpret it literally by saying, this was poetic and intended to mean, intended to, uh, to explain something about God or whatever in that kind of a form. It's an example, et cetera. So that's all that interpreting the Bible literally means. Reading it like anyone would read it. Like anyone would read anything. 
if Jesus teaches us to love our enemies and our neighbors, we believe what he means is love our enemies and our neighbors. It's that simple. That's what being a fundamentalist and interpreting the Bible literally means. We believe what it says, and we don't believe that we have to bring anything to the text to try to interpret it to mean something other than what it says. If it's poetry, we interpret it as poetry, okay? If it's history, we interpret it as history. Now, there are at least two ways to interpret a text. There are actually a number, but there are at least two. One of them is called exegesis. Exegesis. You do not have to remember that. There's not a quiz after this. Exegesis basically means that we read the Bible for what it says and we let it mean what it says. We draw the meaning out. So we think that the meaning is here and we draw it out. That's exegesis, okay? Another way to interpret it is called eisegesis. Eisegesis basically means that you're bringing something from yourself to the scripture, like an interpretive framework to the scripture to sort of have the scripture say what you're trying to get it to say. So eisegesis is different from exegesis, okay? Some people will read the Bible with a 21st century cultural framework and and force the Bible to fit into their cultural framework. Well, Jesus couldn't have meant that. We don't talk like that. We don't think that kind of thing. So what he really must have meant is this. That's eisegesis. It happens all the time. Let me tell you one of the most famous examples. One of the most popular verses in our culture is Matthew 7.1, where Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, judge not that you be not judged. Okay? If you read that verse out of context and assume all kinds of things about the word judge, you could interpret it to mean we can't judge anyone or anything ever. Right? If you, just, if you just pull it out, no context, no understanding, no understanding of the language, no understanding of what the word judge means, then that's what it means. Don't judge. Don't judge anything ever. But that can't be what it means for a lot of reasons. But one of the simplest is that 14 verses later, Jesus tells us to judge. Matthew 7, 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. How do you know their fruits? You got to judge them. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. This is literally a passage telling you to look at the fruits of people and judge whether they are good or bad. So if he meant in that verse, just, I mean, he'd have to just be all over the place because he just said, don't judge. So what does he mean? Well, it must mean something a little different than people try to make it. You have to understand context. You have to understand that words can have nuanced meanings. For example, my former law partner, Will Roach, is a judge. He judges for a living, but he's not judgmental, but he is a judge, and he judges all the time, but he's not doing Matthew 7, 1 type judging. So how is that? Well, we judge all the time. You judge all the time. Somehow this verse only gets brought up with a very particular type of judging, a judgment that you make about something that the teachings of Scripture might say about the behavior of somebody else. That's when this gets brought up. Soon as you do that, you're going to hear them. Judge not. Jesus said, judge not. Who are you to judge? So they'll say, right? They never say that when I make a judgment about the kind of ice cream I like best. They never say, it never comes up, but I'm judging or if I make a judgment about something that they also think is morally wrong, somehow it never comes up, right? If you're like, hey, this thing is bad, and they agree with you, it's like, yeah, that's bad. Those people are bad. But when you say, you know, this thing you're doing might not be great, 
Judge not. <laughs> Judge not. Person says, hey, you, you're uh, stealing from your employer. I'm going to show you how quickly this gets absurd. You're stealing from your employer. You ought not to do that. And the other person says, judge not. Who are you to judge? So the guy goes, um, so is it wrong to judge? And the first person says, absolutely. You're not allowed to judge. So the first person says, so you're judging me for judging you? And they go, yeah, wait, no, I don't know. I just want to steal from my employer because that's really what's going on, <laughs> right? You can't even use it without judging. So obviously it doesn't mean that. In this case, it's about using a particular standard. It's about being unfair. It's about being hypocritical. And it's about being condemnatory of people and standing in the place of Jesus as the actual judge of all of us. But it's not saying don't use discernment and don't use judgment. And it's not saying we shouldn't judge what people are doing. We're actually told very specifically in the scripture that we are to judge within the church, right? You should be judging me. If I come up here and I do something wrong, you should judge, not to condemn, to help me transform. It's an act of grace and love to judge, but they don't understand that because they have eisegesis. They take it out of context so they can use it to do the thing they want to do, which in this case often is just protecting their own violation of the scriptures, okay? That's eisegesis. You use the scriptures to say what you want them to say. Instead of studying and using a literal translation and accurately knowing what the scripture actually says. Exegesis, if you're wondering how to really balance them, exegesis is hard. It takes a lot of work. Eisegesis is easy. It takes no work. It's the kind of thing where you can flip through and be like, boom, there's a verse. It must mean what God wants me to say today. I know we've all done that, so I'm not dogging anybody, but uh, my dad used to tell a joke where he'd say, you know, I, want, I was wondering what to do and so, uh, about these girls. And so I w went through the thing and I put my finger on it and said, you shall go out with joy. And so I'm going to go out with joy, right? That, that type of thing, right? <laughs> I'm wondering whether, you know, we should use marijuana. And smoke filled the temple. Well, I, you know, I... <laughs> I said, Jesus... Okay? Do not quote me as if I was using that passage to suggest that. Some guy in the back like, oh, so I shouldn't, all right, I'll put that back. We do the hard work, okay, of studying the scriptures literally using exegesis to determine what the Bible says. Whether we like it or not, we're not going to always like it. If we always liked it, we'd already be perfect and we wouldn't need Jesus. Well, let me tell you something. I've met a lot of you. You're not perfect. You do need Jesus, just like me. I am definitely not perfect, and I definitely need Jesus. I can't be telling the scripture what it should say. It has to tell me. It has to tell me. Scriptures can say all kinds of things if you want to use eisegesis. So when we talk about a literal interpretation of the Bible, what we mean is there is a standard. There is a standard. And the Bible, we're trying to draw out what the Bible says. We're trying to let the Bible push up against us, not take the Bible and start making, riffing pages out and make it say what we want it to say. In one way, we honor God. In the other way, we honor ourselves. God tells us the truth. We do not get to tell him what we think the truth ought to be. It's not how it works. In the end, what liberal and progressive, again, these are not political terms if this is your first week. These are terms about Christianity and, and different things people believe. But liberal and progressive Christians, what they do to the scripture is arrogant, prideful, and rebellious. That's what it is. 
when they don't like what Scripture says, when it's not the way they think God should be, or not, oftentimes it's not the way they would be. And so they don't think God should be that way either. Then they just say, I don't believe it. Or they attack the reliability of Scripture. They say we can't know. Or they say that's not what it really means. Instead, we should show some humility before God. We know the Scriptures are accurate. It doesn't take a genius to be able to, to read and understand. It just takes some hard work. We can understand the Scriptures. God sees the beginning from the end. He knows everything. We don't. If you don't understand something, and there are things you are not going to understand, you got to trust God. If you think God should be a different way, tough. He's not asking you. He's telling you. This is important because we're used to kind of being independent, right? Americans, we do what we want to do. You don't tell me what to do. God's like, you know, I, I am going to. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what to do because I made you. Because I know what's best for you because I love you. He's the creator of the universe. Listen, Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, his ways past finding out. You will not understand everything because you're not God. There are things that you won't understand. God can say to us the way it is, and we have to accept it. This is what he said to Job. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. This is Job 38, one through four. And said, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Kind of puts us in our place a little bit. Oh, can you make a tree? No, then shut up. (laughs) Don't tell me how to be God. Understand who we are and be humble. I'm not saying God tells us to shut up, but at some level, a little bit, when he says, prepare yourself like a man, that's literally, what it literally means is gird up your loins. Now, I don't know how many of you men have ever worn basically a dress like they do, like they did back then. You know, they have this tunic and it goes down. But girding up your loins, you got that thing, you pulled it up and you tied it around and whatever so that you could run and move and whatever. It was, it was when a man was ready to, to do his thing, fight or whatever, you had to gird up your loins. He's saying, look, Prepare yourself like a man. You think you can come against me? You think you're better than me? You're not. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? In the book of Isaiah, we read, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. This is Isaiah 55, eight through nine. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, a lot higher, by the way. So my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. How much higher are God's thoughts? A lot higher. He knows a lot more. So if you're questioning Scripture, struggling with Scripture, and you will, if you want to study it, you're going to struggle with it. You just need to continue to work hard and harder and harder to study and understand God. He loves you, and he wants you to be close to him and know him through his word. But it takes work. Anyone who's married who's ever had a girlfriend or a relationship of any kind, knows that if you want any kind of depth to that relationship, you've got to put in some work. You've got to put in some work. You want to see a thriving marriage, you're going to see two people working hard. You want to see a thriving relationship between you and God? Work. That's how it works. Don't reject it when it gets hard. Don't reject it when it becomes embarrassing. Oh, you believe that? You believe what the Bible says about that? Well, you're a... Fill in the blank. Look, you live in the Northwest, folks. 
It's not going to be easy. But people have had it harder. You have not resisted to the shedding of blood. Okay. But yeah, you're going to be a little embarrassed sometimes if you want to be serious about the scripture. And you know what? You standing up and being willing to be embarrassed might just be the thing that, that tips for the person that you're talking to that makes them take Jesus seriously and, and they get saved. Standing strong has this incredible ability to make people respect. Reading the Bible can be a joy. You know, I had a, I had a little phase there where I just was not getting into the word other than to, to preach and to prepare for that for a little while. And I wasn't doing that morning thing where I get up and do it. And I was like, no, I've got to get back to it. And I got back to it. Like, Man, I am once again just loving it. It's that morning time with the Lord, just spending time in the scriptures. I know it's hard. I know that it's, like I said, I've had those times where I've fallen off of it. If you have, get on it. A few chapters a day, man, it's amazing what it can do. It's amazing how the love of the scripture comes back to you. Have some humility before God. Please don't assume you need to correct him. He's doing okay. It might be socially embarrassing to be serious about the Bible, and that's certainly the way progressive Christians feel. I think that's part of why they reject it. But in the scriptures, we read of life and life more abundantly, and we read of it nowhere else. That's where it is. We have a Savior. Jesus has paid the price for your sins. If you don't know him today, he's paid the price for your sins. You don't have to be under judgment. If you don't know him, if you're not a follower of him, you are under judgment, but you don't have to be. You don't have to walk out of here today under judgment. Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confess Jesus the Lord of your life and believe that he is alive, that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. He will forgive you. The blood of Jesus will cover your sin and you will be perfect before him. Where do we know? Why do we know that? It's in the scriptures. What if these aren't accurate? What if these are invalid? What if it's not really? What if it's just an interpretation of interpretation of interpretation? What if it's copies of copies? What if we don't know? What if whatever? Then you are in big trouble. Because the way we know what Jesus has taught us and what his apostles have taught us through the Holy Spirit is in the scriptures. We reject this book. There's no hope for you. Because I can tell you the one thing that I know without any Bible, human beings are under judgment. A holy God could not possibly spend any time or have any relationship with human beings. We're broken. So the only way you can have that relationship is if we're made pure and clean and holy. And the only way that, that could happen is what he did that we read about here, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins. And that he rose him from the dead, defeating sin and death and hell, and that you can be free in him. And if the scriptures aren't true, then I hate to tell you, but that ain't true. And if that ain't true, we are sad folks. If that ain't true, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die under judgment. But it is true because the scriptures are true. If the progressive Christians who want to twist scripture succeed, they will succeed in taking away everything of meaning about who Jesus Christ is. Well, they won't succeed because they've come and gone many times of different stripes and with different names. And somehow the scriptures remain. They remain. And faithful people like you, have continued to stand on them, even against the culture and the difficulty. And they will continue to remain until Jesus comes back to get us and come quickly, Lord Jesus.
Bible is true. And no matter what anyone says, that's never going to change. And so we need to take it seriously and live for Jesus just like it tells us to. Now, if you have any questions or comments or we can help you find peace and hope in Jesus, please call us at 360-885-9000. Or for email, use info at axchurchnw.org. We'd love to help you find life. Thanks for listening, and you'll want to be sure and check out the next episode as Pastor David teaches us more important truth from God's Word here on Contemplate.